0: We are in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We got Bibles available. Take advantage of that. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. We're going to continue on in our series. We're going to continue talking about the Israelites, but we're also going to talk about a different aspect of it tonight as well. And we remember from last week. Talked about the Israelites' disobedience. And that's why they didn't go into the promised land because of their unbelief. Their unbelief in what the Lord had for them and what he was calling them to do. They believed in themselves rather than the Lord and his will for their life. And we're going to go on tonight highlighting that once again, but also highlighting the rest, the salvation that is available to us through Christ. And what I want us to get tonight as we end tonight And as you guys walk away from this room, is what we are called to do in our faith. What kind of faith do we need to have to enter into the the promised rest that the Lord gives us? And how do we walk effectively in a God-honoring way? So the overarching theme that I want us to understand and walk away with tonight is that we are to have an urgent faith that's guided by Scripture. That we are called to have an urgent faith that is guided by Scripture. Let's pray as we open up God's Word. God, we thank you for your living and active word. God, I thank you for these high school students tonight. Lord, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to, to walk through your word. And I pray that it would be challenging and to be encouraging. Lord, we may see that we may see come uh, some students come to know you and students be encouraged in their walk. God, would you move tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my first point is to have faith in Christ. Have faith in Christ. It's simple. Hebrews. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Let's read them. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. All right, by a show of hands, how many of y'all ever been to Chicago, Illinois? Man, what a trashy town, man. Go, Go St. Louis Cardinals, am I right? Yeah, down with the Cubs. Well, if you've ever been to Chicago, I've gone a couple times. I try to stay away. But in Chicago, I think it's called the Willis Tower now. It was the Sears Tower when I went there. And it's just a huge, tall building. Anyone ever been in the Sears Tower or the Willis Tower? Thank you, Jonah. And uh, in that, you go to the top floor and you can see all the beautiful views of Chicago, which are not many. But you get to see all of the city and you get to see everything. But there is a special part that I really dislike about that top floor in the Sears Tower. You got, you know, you got a floor and you got windows all around, except this one corner, it has a, you know, a sheet of glass that has some walls and a ceiling and a floor that are beyond the building. So you got like the edge of the building here and this, this, this glass goes out from it. And it's not just some, like, little artistic deal where you just look at and you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, no, people walk on it. And it's like a huge photo opportunity for people. Now, if you know this about me, I don't like heights. I'm absolutely terrified of heights. So I'm an eighth grader. So obviously I'm really mature at this point. And uh, I'm an eighth grader and we're up there and my parents are like, let's take a family picture in that. I was like, that is a terrible idea. Why would we ever do that? So my mom and my dad and my brother Caleb, they're like, hey, let's do this. So they, you know, they hop in there. My brother's probably like jumping up and down. You can see all the way to the streets and all the people look like ants. And they're in there like, oh, come on, Dylan, you got a person, you know, sitting here ready to take the, the picture. And I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. It's like, I don't know if I can trust that. And like, oh, no, Dylan, come on. So I'm like, it, and I imagine it looks like this. I'm like, Inching my way towards this, like it's gonna come up and jump at me. And I'm like inching my way, and I kind of put a knee down on the floor, and I put like one foot on the glass, and I turn and like have just this weird, weird, uh, weird posture, and I do this weird smile, and I'm, they take the picture, and then I like jump off. I never actually fully went onto that glass. I was like, I'm not placing my faith in that thing. Here's the connection. There's many people in your world, in your friend group, in your schools that place their faith in something that is not Jesus. They place their faith in their academic ability, their athletic ability, their ability to play an instrument, their ability to to socially build friends and build a platform, build a kingdom. And they place their faith all in their abilities and in their self. But that will ultimately fail them. And when we talk about Israel's disobedience and when we talk about what we're called to do to enter into the promised rest the Lord has for us, we are to place our faith in Christ, to place our faith in Jesus in order to enter into it. It's not based on our works or our abilities or giftings, but it's placed, it's all because of our faith being placed in Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem have to fail to reach it. Obviously he's talking about, therefore, the Israelites' disobedience and for us, the reader, the listener, the audience, that we would take notice, exhort one another, that was one of our points last week, that we would encourage one another to walk faithfully with the Lord, to be fully satisfied and fulfilled in the Lord rather than the things of this world. and that we would know one another, would have our full faith in Jesus. That's what we were called to do. That's what we talked about last week. But we did highlight the Israelites' disobedience and unbelief, and that's why they didn't enter into the promised land. But it says here, the promise of entering his rest still stands. It's not closed. It wasn't two years ago or five years ago or 200 years ago. This promise of entering his rest still stands. And you might be saying, okay, what is this rest? Some of y'all like to sleep in, get a little rest. I know Noble does; he sleeps a lot. What is this rest? This rest has, is a twofold. It's mainly eternal glory, eternal uh, our eternity in heaven, but it's also right now that one day we will be seated around the throne from people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and we will be all praising God. We will all be worshiping God. And it will be awesome. There will be no more tears, no more hurt, no more uh, murder. There will be no more sin and bullying. There will be no more of that in heaven. And we will praise the Lord for it. There's peace and there's rest in that. But there's also rest available to us now. Scripture says that Jesus gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. That he gives us wisdom in his word. That we can learn from it and we spend time from it. And when we spend time with the lord he gives us peace that we're not wrestling with the things of this world that we can look to the one who has conquered the world that's rest that the lord gives us right now so he's encouraging us that promise still stands for that invitation to a relationship with jesus where we find that rest that invitation is still open and there may be some of you in the room tonight that feel like you're too far gone That you've gone too far sexually, that you've gone too far with alcohol, that you've gone too far with cursing and just living a life that is so self-consumed and self-centered. I want you to hear tonight, and I want you to shift your mind, radically shift your mind, that God's grace extends even to you and beyond you. That the promise to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to be forgiven for your sin, is available so don't harden your heart tonight. Don't be saying, okay, well, this is good for those that God would still love. God loves you and wants you. As it continues on in verse 1, it says, Let us fear lest any of you should come to have failed to reach it. Let us take seriously for those that may not enter into heaven. And when we, we see here, failed to reach it. And you may be thinking, well, in my good works I can reach it? That I do all these good things and I can reach Heaven, I can reach that promised rest. No, this idea of uh, uh, where it says fail to reach it is this idea of lacking. Obviously, we lack the ability to be connected with the Lord in our own, uh, our own gifts and our own actions because our own actions separate us from God. But we lack nothing when we have a relationship with Jesus. We lack nothing when he has cleansed us from our sin. And that's what we place our faith in. That's what we place our trust in. And that's how we lack nothing. We will enter into the rest if we place our faith in Jesus. Because in Jesus we lack nothing. But without Jesus, we lack everything. It's that faith in Christ. And my question to you is do you lack faith? What is your faith placed in? Verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So it's back to the Israelites and it says the good news came to them. The good news of the covenant of Abraham that one day they were going to enter into the promised land. Well, it shows that they did not benefit from that. Well, why didn't the Israelites benefit from that promise? It's because of their unbelief. They didn't reap the benefits because they did not believe in God and what he had called them to do. It says that message has come to us right now. That you have been given the good news. The good news that you are a sinner far away from God because of your sin. And your sin earned you death. But the good news is that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus in your place. That you might have a relationship with him. That when you deny yourself, repent of your sins, turn away and trust in him. That you have salvation. That you will have a rest that will never be broken. A rest that surpasses all things one day. That is available to you, but it's only benefiting you. You only receive the benefits if you place your faith in Jesus. The Israelites' faith was in their own ability. But when we place our faith in ourselves, we will experience turmoil and anxiousness. But when we, re- we place our faith in Christ, we will find peace and salvation. So where is your faith? Is it placed in Jesus or is it placed in yourself. My second point for us tonight is that we are to have urgency for rest. So place your faith in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, but also to have urgency for rest. Y'all ever been in the situation before where your mom has asked you to do something and she's going to go run a couple of errands and she says, hey, just get this done. Hey, just fold the laundry while I'm out or hey, uh, clean out the dishwasher, or unload the dishwasher while I'm gone. So your mom leaves the house, like I'll watch some Netflix, I'll watch some TV, or I'll play some video games, scroll on my phone. Before you know it, you get a live 360 notification, mom has arrived at home. Or you hear the garage door, which our garage door is really loud, so normal people's garage door, you probably can't hear in your living room. But you hear and you get that notification, your mom is home, and you have the realization, you haven't done what she's asked you to do. Anybody ever been in that situation? Probably all of you. So in that moment, you're like, oh, snap, I got to get this done. The all urgency in the world is placed on you and there is nothing that's going to separate you from doing that task. So you're like throwing plates into the cupboard. You're folding that laundry like the worst you've ever done, but you're throwing it into the drawer. There's urgency in the task. Here's the thing that I don't understand. For many of us, when we place our faith in Jesus... Right? It's an incredible moment. It's one that's memorable that everyone celebrates. We, we, we celebrate baptism. It's awesome. But many times beyond our baptism, we become apathetic. Our urgency for our need for Jesus and our urgency to tell others about Jesus goes away. And we begin to live lives that are self-consumed and self-centered and show no fruit of having an urgency that others may not know Jesus. Jesus. One of the things I love, Scott Long said, and and it's been, I've heard several of you say this, too soon, it'll be too late. Too soon, it'll be too late for your friend that doesn't know Jesus to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus because they've never heard it and they've never heard it from you. Too soon, it'll be too late that your parents, your teacher, your teammate, Too soon it will be too late that they don't have an opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel. We must have an urgency for ourselves to experience the rest of Jesus every single day. But we must have an urgency to let others know that the invitation to that rest is still open today. Verse 3 in chapter 4. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So, again, he's talking about Psalm 95, which he built the last week's message. He built all of his arguments from Psalm 95, and he's continuing that here in chapter 4. But there's a negative connotation because they did not believe, they did not enter in the rest. But the good news is if we place our faith in Jesus, if we believe, we will enter that rest. Which should be encouraging for us, but it should bring some urgency as well. That others need to know about the Jesus and the peace that we have. Because this rest is peaceful. But you probably have many friends that are pretty restless, am I right? They may be anxious. They may have things going on and they just can't control themselves. Why are people restless? There's three things that I came up with that are probably a reason why most people are restless and anxious. Because they are restless about their identity, their purpose, and their fulfillment. Those are three things that people find restlessness and anxiousness in is because they don't know their identity, they don't know their purpose, and they don't know their fulfillment. And the good news is, is that Jesus fulfills every single one of those. That we now have a new identity in Jesus because we are now a child of God. We are a son and daughter of the one true king. That we have a purpose now, that we are to live on mission to tell others with urgency about the Jesus that saved us from our sin. And that our fulfillment, that we are fully satisfied in who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. Because if we continue to look for fulfillment and satisfaction from our abilities and our gifts and other people's thoughts towards us, we will never be fully fulfilled. It is only in Jesus we find fulfillment. And when we have our identity and our purpose and our fulfillment We find peace. We find rest. We can take rest at the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And that we can rest that we have God's living and active word guiding us. And rest knowing that our purpose is to live for the one who saved us. End of verse 3. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Since the foundation of the world, the Lord had a plan for this rest, for our eternity. And we see this idea of rest is even within the fabric of our created world. Because on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. And that we are called as a Sabbath, as a believer, We have a Sabbath, which we typically call Sunday. And it's a time where we specifically and intentionally spend time and sit with the Lord. And that would be Sunday morning, we sit under the preaching of God's living and active word. And maybe an encouragement for you when you go home to meditate on God's living and active word and discipleship groups where you are being challenged and thinking about the things of the Lord and praying to the Lord. This idea of rest is within the fabric of even the Sabbath. And we see in verse 5, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Even though it's within the fabric of the world, even though it's made known to everyone, there are people that will not enter into it because they do not believe. It's not because they can't earn their way. It's because of their unbelief. That should bring an urgency for us to tell others about the truth of the gospel. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. It says, therefore, it remains for some to enter. That there is still an opportunity to enter into that rest. There is still an opportunity to enter into a relationship with Jesus where you will find peace now and eternal peace. That invitation is open. And there are probably people in this room that feel like they're too far gone. That invitation is open to you to deny yourself and place your faith in Jesus and His finished work on the cross. I want you to radically shift your mindset to that God loves you enough, even in the ugliness of your sin. And even the ugliest sin that you feel like you committed, God's sacrifice of Jesus is enough for that. But this should bring an urgency again for the believer. If the rest remains open, if there's still an invitation for people to be saved. That should bring an urgency for us to tell others about him, that we would desire to see our friends, because I could ask everyone to raise their hand if they have a friend that does not know Jesus, and every hand would be raised. There should be urgency, because too soon it will be too late for them to come to know Jesus. Have an urgency, have a zeal, have a passion that others may know Jesus and they may experience what you have experienced in your relationship with Jesus. Verse verse 7 continues on this idea. And he points a certain day today saying, through David, the author of Psalm 95, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now I'm not dumb. I know there are people in this room that come every single Wednesday. They may come on Sundays because their parents make them. You may have a heart that is so hardened against the Lord that Not one word that I've ever spoken on a Wednesday or one word your connect group leader has ever taught on a Sunday, you've never taken it to heart. God's word says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't put yourself in the too far gone category because that category does not exist. That God's invitation into a relationship with his son is open to you. If you would deny your sin Deny yourself and place your faith in Jesus. Today, he's appointed it today. If you do not have that, repent and trust in Christ. This is an urgent plea today. Verse 8 through 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we're introducing to another character, his name is Joshua. And we see in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is greater than the angels. We spend a lot of time on that. In the last several weeks we've talked about Jesus is greater than Moses. But we also see that Jesus is greater than Joshua. Again, the exaltation of Jesus. This is what happens in the book of Hebrews. This is what happens in scripture. Joshua is actually the person that led the Israelites into the promised land. Not Moses because he, he, he messed up. He, Joshua is the one that led them in. But guess what? The Israelites did not find true and eternal rest in the promised land. They continue to disobey and find hardships because of their disobedience and unbelief in the Lord. But the good news is that Jesus has given us eternal rest. He's achieved and led us to eternal rest through his death and resurrection and us placing our faith in him. He is the one who can Give us eternal rest. He is the one that can give us eternal peace and eternal salvation. And that is why he is the better leader than Joshua. So we continue to exalt the name of Jesus because he is worthy. So we are to have faith in Christ. To have urgency for the rest for ourselves and for others. And finally, we are to have guidance from scripture. We are to have guidance from scripture verses 11-13. through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. What does that word strive mean? Do we need to strive to enter that rest? Do we need to earn our works to enter the rest and rest, uh, eternity? The idea of strive means to be zealous, to make every effort, and to be eager. Again, I talk about this apathetic Christian that kind of has no urgency, no passion As a believer, we are to have passion because we were saved from death into life. That should motivate us every single day to have passion and to be zealous for the Lord, to be encouraged by the Lord, and that we would be eager to enter into eternal glory, that we would be eager for others to enter into eternal glory. The friends that we know that don't know Jesus, we should be zealous and passionate that they would come to know Jesus so that they may. Enter into the rest that God has for them. And that's part of why we meet on Wednesdays and Sundays. Is that we are to encourage one another. To take care of one another. To challenge one another. To walk faithfully and to be fully satisfied in Christ. That we encourage one another in our schools. But even in this group that we would be a people that love Jesus and follow him with passion. That we would be fully satisfied in Christ. Because the reason we don't enter in the rest is because of unbelief and our desires that no one may fall to unbelief. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. You've heard me pray that many, many times as we open up God's word, that it is living and active. That 2 Timothy tells us that is is God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed. So it's the very words of God and many people Walk around and say, man, I feel like God doesn't speak to me. Man, I feel like God doesn't want to talk to me. If you want to hear God speak, open up God's word. Open up scripture. And God is speaking to us. But we see it says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It pierces to our very soul. We cannot hide from the words of Scripture. Al Mohler says it this way. When we, it says that it is not we who read Scripture, but it is Scripture that reads us. There is no other book that can discern the intentions and the thoughts of the heart. That when we go to Scripture, many people believe that it's going to paint a rosy picture of themselves. That they're going to look to Scripture and say, man, I am good. You don't know how to read scripture if you you look at scripture that way. When you read Romans 1, you're like, man, I am a good dude. That doesn't happen. It will not paint a rosy picture. It will only point to your depravity and God's goodness. And we praise the Lord for that. Scripture is uplifting, encouraging, and hopeful because it shows us our depravity. Not because it pats us on the back and affirms us of our self-consumed thoughts and ideas. It's uplifting and hopeful because God shows us a way out of ourselves, and that way is Jesus. That we see the ugliness of our sin, but we see the beauty of Jesus. When we go to Scripture, we don't look to impose our truth. We don't look to impose our 2023 woke mindset into Scripture, but we look to Scripture to humble us, to guide us, to craft us in the name and in the image of Jesus Because verse verse 13 is, is graphic. It's very to the point. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's beauty in scripture because there's no one in this room that has seen Jesus. No one in the room has seen Jesus walk through their living room, walk through their bedroom, or walk through the church. We have been revealed to who God is and who Jesus is through his living and active word, through the testimony of the church, through his word. There's beauty in that. We've been revealed. God has revealed himself to us in his word, and we praise the Lord for that. But with that comes accountability. What do we do with the knowledge of who God is? What do we do with the knowledge of how ugly our sin is? What do we do with the knowledge of who Jesus is? And if we don't give our life to Christ, if we don't surrender and place our faith in Jesus We will find eternity not in rest, but in toil and eternal hell. That is where we will find ourselves. Because when we go to Scripture, it knows our our intentions. God knows our hearts. He knows what we are thinking. We can't hide from it. And there's a beauty in that. There's freedom in that. You don't have to act like you're someone you're not. You don't have to put on a facade when you come to the Lord because he knows who you are. And we can rest in that. Because we are a sinner in need of a Savior. So my encouragement to you tonight, if you don't know Jesus today, if you hear these words, give your life to Christ. Surrender your life to Christ. Place your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. To recognize the ugliness of your sin and to repent, turn away from it and place your faith in Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. That's what he's called you to do. You no longer have to toil looking for identity, looking for purpose, looking for fulfillment. All of that is found in Jesus and the rest he provides us. But if you're in this room and you're a believer, you've given your life to Jesus. I I hope this is a challenge to you. That you're not just saved to where you get a get out of hell free card. That you're saved for eternity one day and you can just do whatever you want. What are you actively placing your faith in? Are you placing your faith in your abilities or are you placing your faith in Jesus? Do you have an urgency to spend time and find rest in Jesus every single day? Are you putting yourself in a posture before the Lord to where he can empty you and fill yourself up with him? But do you have an urgency for others to know that peace? Do you have an urgency for your friends to come to know Jesus because too soon it'll be too late. Too soon it'll be too late for you, but too soon late too late, it might be for your friend. And are you being guided? Is your faith, is your walk with the Lord being guided by the words of culture, or is your faith being guided by the words of Scripture? And I pray that we would be believers that place our faith in Jesus, that have urgent, passionate, zealous lives to spend and get more of God for ourselves, but to get more of God for our friends, that others may know Him through our witnessing to them, through our testimony in his word. As you heard tonight through Jenna and Caleb, how they came to know Jesus, you can be a part of stories like that when you give your life to Jesus and give your life to the mission to tell others about him. We are called to have a, an urgent faith that's guided by his word, not by anything else. God, would you move in us tonight Would as we exalt your name, as we praise your name, as we worship you, because you are worthy. God, would you Encourage us to spend more time. Would you challenge us? Would you convict us where we place our faith in ourselves? God, would you encourage us to walk closely with you, to put ourselves in a posture before you every single day that we want more of you, that we are passionate to get more of you in our life, we are passionate to get more of your word in our life. But God, would you give us a passion for the lost? That there are Millions of people entering to the toil and gates of eternal hell because they don't know the good news of Jesus, they don't believe in the good news of Jesus. God, would you use us uniquely, intentionally in the lives of non-believers so that they may see your good works, they may hear the good news of Jesus and give you glory and surrender their life. And God, for those in the room tonight that have hard hearts, that they come every single Wednesday, come every single Sunday. Because they have to or because they just put on a facade. God, would you break their hearts? Would you break their identity? Would you break their purpose? Would you break their fulfillment that they would find it would only be, f- be fulfilled in you? God, would you speak to their hearts tonight? That you would show them the ugliness of their sin, but the beauty of your son Jesus and the death and the resurrection which saves us. God, would they place their faith in you tonight? We thank you for your living and active word. During this time, Lord, you've exposed us. We are naked and exposed before you. God, would you empty of us, of ourselves, but would you fill us with more of you. God, we want more of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship.